Ron Carter, Kenny Barron on piano, lighting one up, pouring one down. Once again, hooray hurrah, the smartest man in the world Proopcast takes to the ether, this time from the Porpoise of Fruititude, which moves on a regular basis. <laughs> We've seen Ron Carter with Russell Malone and Donald Vega, but this is from 1977. Uh, it's his quartet, and it's his birthday. Uh, he's 83. Let's hope Ron Carter is 83. He's sealed uh, somewhere away in the Carter vault of records where he's teaching I'm classes sure, I'm online. sure he's teaching. Um, uh, Mark Stryker, who wrote a book called Jazz from Detroit, pointed out that Ron Carter and... Paul Chambers were in the same class together in Detroit, and that Detroit had a, a quote, remarkable public school music education program. Yes, one would think. <laughs> my name's Greg Proops. This is my wife, Jennifer. Hi. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Pretty good, considering. There's a couple of things that take the sting away from this. I've often described uh, America as a burning shit pile, but now... It literally is. And several things uh, bring us together. One, uh, this kind of contact that we can have with one another, because other contact is limited. And two, music, poetry, oh, and art. Absolutely. It's, it's vital. And uh, yesterday I was listening to Betty LeVette. Um, things have changed. Uh, her album from a couple years ago. Uh, I always listen to, there's a couple of Ron Carter live concerts on YouTube that are very soothing. And then today I read uh, Ted Joya, the the music historian. Yes. Wrote the liner notes. for. There's a remastered version of Errol Garner's The Magician from 1974. I'm buying that as soon as I can. Right. Um, how many times have you flattered Ron Carter and had him? We go to see Ron he's Carter. He's very patient with me. I think he's... <laughs> he has he to deal with a lot of people telling him how fabulous he is. I almost certainly knows who you are now because I, we've cornered him so many times at this point. We've well, seen then, in, then I, w I was talking to John B. Williams at that one show. Oh, did you just drop a name there? I did. You mean next to Ron Carter, the most prolific bassist in the well, history? Well, no, Bob of, Crenshaw. Oh, right. And who then. was uh, influential in getting John B. Williams his gig on Sesame Street. But uh, John B. Williams actually took classes from Ron Carter okay. in New York. Wow. What's the new Earl Garner album called? Magician. Um, so we saw Ron Carter in London uh, several years ago at Ronnie Scott's. And uh, it's not on iTunes. Foo. Um, no, it's actually, it's um, it's being released on vinyl oh. by a group called Vinyl Me, Please. And Ted Joya wrote the liner notes. Okay. And he pointed out that Errol Garner is such was such a master. He he uh, left and left us in 1977 at a very young age. I think 55. Oh yeah. But he was really he was someone that was so popular at that time that people don't know about now. Errol Garner. Yeah, and he's just phenomenal. He's a, a, a pianist of just this just this rare. He would improvise each. Each time he sat down to play, he never played it the same way twice. But on this album, there's a version of Close to You that apparently is, you know, you, you forget. Much like when Ron Carter plays My uh, Funny Valentine, uh -huh. 
you forget what you're listening to because he's reinvented it. Right. Like, uh, was it was it Dinah Washington? Who who did send in the clowns? No, she couldn't have done it. That did it better than... Yeah, where you're just like, oh, I like the song. I never liked the song. Oh. Well, if you jazz it up a little, Send in the Clowns is not my favorite song time by a long while. That's what I mean. It's too dreary. Errol Garner uh, wrote Misty, which was an enormous hit for him. And he gets looked over a little bit, I think, because he swung off so early. Um, Steve Allen, the comedian and piano player, uh, said that he dug Errol Garner the most. And there was a really good kind of thrown together special we watched several years ago which covered him when you're talking about him improvising what i thought was so astonishing was they said not only in concert he could not read music and had taught yeah. himself to play the piano mm -hmm. in concert he um never played anything the same way twice so the group never knew what he was going to do but on record when they would go into the studio to make an album he couldn't play the same way twice on takes. And the producer would come out and go, well, you did this all different here. You did it in a different way. And he'd be like, dude, this is how right. I play. Right, that's how I work. Here's Magician from 1974. Uh, I don't know if this is the... Yeah, that's the album. You'll dig how he sounds, man. It's real accessible. By the way, he's wearing a purple sweater, a purple polo neck, and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, which he often... This is it. Close <laughs> to You by Backrack David. <laughs> Just like me, they love to be. Oh, yeah. Funky. Right? Well, as, as uh, Ted Joya put it, he injects soul into the proceedings. You, you guys, if you have a chance and you're sitting around the crib on your phone or on the YouTube... Errol Garner live on Errol Garner on the TV shows he's on. He's so entertaining of a piano player. The album that I got a couple of years ago that I just love on vinyl at Amoeba, which is no longer there, which is shocking, oh. um, is a concert by the sea. Which is like a, a, a staggeringly huge, oh, next to Brubeck, so... it might be one of the best jazz, best-selling jazz yes. albums of all time. Yes. So popular. It's beautiful. He's a great player, man. Here, I'm going to take a little more of this, then we're going to... Right? A little bossa nova. That's little good. Man. He's also delightful to watch play. He's really yeah. entertaining. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. I just feel like he's someone who is so in control all the time and so in command of it. And the improvising is just astonishing and knowing that that's the natural state of his play, that it wasn't... I think Keith... Uh, um, uh, God, I'm blanking on his name. Keith Jarrett is a superb virtuoso mm. who could play classical and jazz, who I'm sure studied and studied and studied, and did his uh, long apprenticeship in a thousand different bands, including Miles Davis. I was and thinking it, about the concert at Colm. Right? And he's an What a great album that is. Right. His improv is astonishing. But he... And as much as Keith... Uh, uh, Jarrett swings, and we've seen him, uh, the trio, with da Jack D. Jeanette and Gary Peacock, um, and they really do swing. Right, what a phenomenal trio. Errol Garner has a, a kind of a peppier he's, he's sound. Got a, absolutely, he's got a joy to him. Um, Keith Jarrett, known for saying the wrong things in concert. Yeah, he was pretty gross when we saw him. Right, he's not exactly the, the, the <laughs> snuggle bear that you're... Errol Garner is delightful. Yeah. And I, for all, by all accounts, uh, uh, 
you have a drink. There, if there was women, that was good. You'd have a cigarette. <laughs> uh, but easygoing yoga, as far as yeah. Keith Jarrett is uh, petulant. What can I tell you? Um, anyway, this is Magician, and it's going to come out, and it's, I believe, all the way released again on vinyl. Yeah. And this Remastered. Is the- uh, with extensive liner notes. This is the opening track. I'm going to spend a little, uh, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to p- spend a little, uh, since we're getting down here, to it. Uh, Richie Cole um, oh, uh, swirled yes. off. Yes, the virus got him. Uh, this year alone, Manu Dibongo, Andy Gonzalez, Henry oh. Grimes, Jimmy Heath, Lee Connitz, Mike Longo, Jimmy Merritt, Ellis Marcellus, Bucky Pizzarelli, Claudio Redito, Wallace Roney, McCoy Tyner, and Hal Wilner. Can I just interject that? Please. The other day I was listening to Ellis Marcellus' uh, album where yes, he, you were. he plays Duke Ellington. And it's just, now if you want like a warm uh, album to just chill out to, I recommend that. It brings my blood pressure down. It was a beautiful album when you were playing it. I was like, who is this? And you're like, this is um, uh, Ellis Marcellus. Uh, the, the coronavirus um, is taking an entire generation of jazz musicians and producers. How long were we talked about a couple weeks ago? Yeah. What a marvelous, eclectic influence he was on music and how yes. he was able to bring so many people. There was no bag uh, that he wasn't in. Don was, I think, does a lot of that, you know type of producing, but how well there was well, the and how phenomenal to take over Blue Note Records. Yeah, and, and it, which is invaluable, but like, how well there, when, you, when you're combining um, rock artists and classics, Disney and Sun Ra. And Brecht. Right, Brecht, Brecht, Free Penny Opera with Lou Reed and whatnot. It's just smashing. In any case, um, Richie Cole played with everybody. His mentor was Phil Woods, who... Um, for my deep dive Steely Dan fans as the solo on Katie Lied. And um, <laughs> Phil Woods, as you know, was a superb... I saw him in high school with my cousin Donnie, another cousin really? Donnie story. Yeah, we drove out to Berkeley, to the Berkeley um, Jazz Festival. I'm not going to say who... Well, no, I can say it. It was, Ga- it was Gatman Joan, who's a trumpeter as well. <clears throat> wasn't Chuck. Um, anyways, uh, 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 Leola Giles, who was a barrier singer, and Phil Woods. So we got to see Phil Woods' quartet. It was really... Afternoon to evening gig, one of those daytime mm-hmm. all day affairs in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. So we sat outside and you know smoke weed and and got tired. <laughs> Great show though. But Johnny is that, Hyde, is that code for stoned? Yeah, um, he uh, did a lot of rich cool work with everybody. Um, he was a tremendous um, saxophone player and uh, he played the alto. Eddie Jefferson was his partner for a long time, and then Eddie Jefferson was um, taken from us uh, in a drive-by. Um, he was such. He a, was quite unusual. Eddie Jefferson, you're going to make me play it here if I. Right. Uh, okay. All right. I'll play that's Eddie a, Jefferson. That's a pretty uh, awesome track. We call we call it hard bop, but uh, he did a lot of uh, different types of music, including gigs with the duets with Sonny Stitt, duets with uh, Phil Woods. All the heavyweights and uh, duets. Oh, and you're one that we're going to play in a minute here with um, Art Pepper, your favorite. And um, he was like partnered with Eddie Jefferson. Here's it. Here is Richie Coles playing with Eddie Jefferson. I found a whole live gig in Chicago from the year Eddie passed um, in black and white video, and it's just swinging. Here's our Richie. Always buoyant, always melodic. Mm hmm. I 
want you to hear how Eddie Jefferson sings. Uh, yeah, because it's... It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> So he's sort of free and loose with the key, and he's always trying to sing like an instrument. It's just smashing. Yeah. Oh, and, and he is, uh, there's a lot of movement on stage. Oh, it's good act. That was his thing. That was the, yeah. It's nice that it's in black and white, because it makes it look like yeah. it's from earlier, and, and this is from, what, 79? Yeah, I was 19 when this came out. It looks like it's from the 40s. Yeah. No, well, no, it looks like... Early 60s. Yeah. yeah. I want you to hear his vocals a little bit. I got the blues, and I don't know how to lose them. I got the blues, and I don't know what to do. Think about you, baby, let me take you in my arms and hold you. I'm so happy, I wouldn't know what to do. How many vocalists try to sound like an instrument? Right. Ella. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's always blowing the melody. Right. And I remember the first time I heard Alberta Hunter was on Dick Cavett's show. Yeah. How eclectic. Sarah Vaughn. Sarah Vaughn. Pretty free with the key, too, I love. <laughs> it's like the key is, a, you know, not always. And he's uh, wearing a hat and a, a vest. He's so much fun. Art Pepper was a really groovy saxophonist who uh, carried off in the early 80s, mid 80s. And uh, his uh, autobiography that he wrote with his wife, Lori, is is really... Straight time, is it? Really recommended yeah. by our household. Um, if, you, uh, if you like Tales of Jazz and... Uh, one of his most famous album covers he hadn't scored. He was a terrible oh, junkie. Oh, that photo by William Claxton. Yeah, William Claxton. And he's walking up a hill in Echo Park. With his horn. Yeah, and he looks forlorn and... and Good looking and yeah. beautiful. He's wearing a check jacket. Yeah, beautiful. And he said, I had hadn't scored in about three days, and it was jouncing like a dog. Art Pepper was uh, heavy duty and uh, did a bunch of albums with our Chet Baker, of course, as well. And here's him and Richie Cole together. This one jumps right in. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. See, kids? Jazz isn't that hard to take. <laughs> Marty Wilson Piper from the group The Church once said to us We were, vi we were visiting uh, Stockholm And we ran into him He was working at a record store at the time He's on the road now with his band Or no, he's not oh, but no. He's not But he was on the road with his band We saw him in LA He has a, a, a new album out Yeah, he's a superb guitar player You may remember The Church uh, They did, what was that song? Um and we were in Stockholm and we met him and we schmoozed him and he came to the show and then we went to dinner with him and he was, he's a musicologist. Like he loves. He's not just a musicologist. He has, I think, 40,000 albums in a warehouse in England. 40,000 um, albums on vinyl. And then he told us about a time he went to Japan a couple years ago and he came back with 120 records or something because he went to all the vinyl shops. That's what he did in Japan. So, but with him, it's rhythm and blues, blues uh, yeah. and rock and yeah. roll yeah. and every type of rock and roll. Well, he's eclectic. 
but he's not a jazz. He said, I, he goes, I have what, a half a dozen jazz. He goes, and then we Yeah, get, I busted him on that. Right. He goes, I only have, I have a limited jazz collection. We get into the restaurant in Stockholm. It's a beautiful restaurant, which one day, goddammit, we'll get back to in the Södermalm district, um, just to die for fucking um, venison and with, you know, really beautiful Swedish dishes and... Great presentation. And great drinks and shit. Uh, and, of course, a group of tall, good-looking Swedish people. Um, Marty Wilson Piper turns to us and goes, so, how does a couple kids like you get into jazz? <laughs> and it's like, everybody thinks jazz is hard going, but dig. Jazz is everything. I mean, that's what when in San Francisco, you, there were, used to be dozens of jazz clubs, and it was always my fantasy. Uh, I would think uh, back to another time when we lived there, yeah. and and even then, the history of the place, and and uh, thinking about where all these bands played these kind of dives. Yeah. And how exciting they were. God, what was the name of that cat? I used to go see him down south of the market. Bishop Bishop Norman somebody. And he was really fun. And, and it was an after-hours place. So after every other bar was closed, you could go there at like one in the morning. And they had two little hot pots full of chili and Boston clown <laughs> chowder and plastic bowls and plastic spoons. We went there with my friend Philip, the lawyer, and uh, Reed, our old uh-huh. buddy, uh, our best man. And uh, we... Uh, we used to go there and, you know, we'd be high, it'd be late at night and like, like, let's get something to eat for free and then we can have a beer, you know? Right. <laughs> and, um, no, I can't remember what his last name was. Um, anyway, he, it was great fun. And Bishop, well, I was thinking today about... He was a bishop. <laughs> I was thinking today about the, the, the kinds of things that I have been not hoarding, but, but making sure I have enough of and it made me laugh that it was all sort of, it's like sourdough bread and Grafeo coffee and Eduardo's pasta and pepperoncini. You mean are, you, are you getting San Francisco? A, are you getting a San Francisco vibe? You mean I got to go to Molinari's, <laughs> right? On Columbus. No, yeah, but this is what's making you know keeping me uh, sane, grounded, sane. Yeah, and whatever. Well, Jennifer's quite sane. I can be find uh, found weeping you in had, the bathroom. You had to go to the garage for a while. Yeah, I've got, well, I, oh, either way, I'm not ill, nor am I quarantined to the garage. I simply go there. Well, uh, you can see the flowers. I, I think that you're having a little battle with the squirrel. I'll tell you what I can see. Yeah, there's a squirrel that lives in our uh, yard. That there are several. There's several, but this one. Uh, by the way, I didn't want to just drop off here. I'm going to go into the squirrel in a second. Richie Coles. Um, played with everyone and is well worth your time. Wasn't he uh, on the NEA board? He was, I believe, the head of the NEA for a National year at one point. National Endowment his... for the Arts. Can anyone tell me what's happening with the computer? Did, did you, the power die on your computer? No, it didn't die. It's been plugged in all fucking day. Hang on a second. <laughs> the screen certainly isn't. Oh. Wow. Instead of turning the volume down. Wow. You can leave this in if you want, Ron. I want everyone to know that I'm human and that I turned... <laughs> The, the light down and then what, what happened to my computer there's a very lovely article about Richie Coles um, and if I can find it I'll die a happy person um, I'm going to stop this if you don't mind and see if I can find it um, The Arts Fuse is the name of this blog and a cat named Alan Mitchie wrote it it's not like an official one it's not from Rolling Stone it's not from The Guardian or whatever it's just a remembrance of him and how he goes through like every period of his career and talks about 
how people thought he was kind of like upbeat and commercial, but he's heavy in so much as he played with everyone good and hard bop is his motif. Um, like I said, there's an I Love Lucy theme. He, he, he drops you a lot of um, links in this one, including Yakety Sax duet with Boots Randolph. No. Yes. It, Richie Cole could play everything. Um, anyway, it's called um, The Arts Fuse is the name of the um, website, and it's an article from today. And it's called Why Jazz Needed Richie Cole, and I couldn't agree more. Like Errol Garner, um, he's an undeniable By part. By the way, Stanley Crouch is in the hospital. In New yes. York, and he's doing better, but uh, another uh, invaluable person involved in jazz. Well, a, a critic and a, a you know someone who is it controversial. A, a, well, in several respects, um, but uh, he knows everything about Duke Ellington. Yes, and I think knowing everything about Duke Ellington is certainly an important um, part of jazz because. I think Ken Burns would agree with me here <laughs> uh, that uh, Duke Ellington is, is so large. I think Stanley Crouch called him the artist of the century. It, it is to be uh, discussed. I don't know that it's to be denied in any way. Uh, so I'm outside of the garage and I sit out there and uh, you do it. Uh, yes, I do exactly what you think I do. Um, and uh, I listen to classical music on, by the way, KUSC, who I wish to thank on the show. No, they are not sponsors. I think they're publicly funded. <laughs> so you can give them money yes. if you like. They never play ads. Not anymore. They used to. Um, and uh, they're out of USC. And they've been um, so lovely. They don't play anything jarring anymore. Mm -hmm. There's no more uh, Wagner. No. Um, it's a lot of greatest hits. I heard Blue Danube again today, which is nice. <laughs> and uh, they're just doing a super job during this. Of uh, There was a, one of the DJs... Uh, excuse me, on-air personalities, who does drive time, always did a, a segment called At 5 O'Clock Road Rage. Mm -hmm. And the last few days, of course, I've been listening out in the garage, and he uh, said, well, there's not much road rage nowadays because uh, Los Angeles traffic. The traffic here is supposed to be down by 40%, but in some places it's more like 80%. He, he would also do uh, lovely bits of... He, there would be a question about who, who was the better dinner guest, uh, and apparently Beethoven... Uh, made it. He made the grade. Be Beethoven had good manners and guests. would bring wine. Bach demanding. A dick. Insistent. Yeah. Bach's family was so eminent and he was such a prolific and a, a, a gigantic writer in the town that he lived in. Um, his name was almost synonymous with music, I think, at the time. He was a composer. How many you know what children? I mean? 7,000? Oh, 7,000 children, 7,000 relatives. And he, he was the organist and director there for how long? Like 45 years. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Um, I mean, he has every right in a lot of ways. If, you're, if I was Bach, uh, I would be Bach and Block. And apparently Beethoven could hear. Surprise. Isn't that funny? Beethoven could hear in Napoleon's 5'7". 21st century. Right? Surprise. He wasn't really that deaf. And Napoleon's 5'7". I got a lot no. of I got no. a lot of things. Um, black people invented everything, too, by the way. In case, and built everything. And built everything. B invented and, and built can, everything. Can we just point out that on our uh, weekly... Uh, yes, perambulations. Yes. We're... We've noticed that white people are the ones letting everyone down oh, by not wearing masks, I'm, by not social distancing, yes. particularly white men. And if you 
want to show respect for the others and that you don't want to inflict whatever germs you're carrying, wear the mask. Oh, by all Wear the means. mask, wear the gloves, and stay away. Stay home, first of all, and then wear the mask and the gloves, always. And Jennifer and I were out on, a, uh, she says, our constitutional, and um, uh, through the wilds of, of uh, Lower California, and a big... Fighting flocks of sheep. As we go, the animals of reclaimed nature is so healed in L.A. There was dolphins on Santa Monica <laughs> Boulevard the other day, and a unicorn. And, uh, Zebras. Oh, my God. Uh, pangolins. I saw an army of uh, musk oxen, which aren't even native to this area, uh, just tramping down sunset, horn locked in horn. Antler, is it? And um, so in our backyard, yes, we're lucky we have a backyard. Yes, I'm privileged. Yes, I'm white. Uh, we, have a, we have a backyard and we have a garage or garage, as I insist on calling because I'm from the Bay Area. And we say garage. We say hella and we say garage and quarter. And San Jose. And San Jose and Santa Cruz and uh, um, just fur uh so i was just sitting in the garage for a while and uh thinking about san jose and uh playing my classical music and this is a several days ago as you know time is blended into one long melange and uh, uh i hear right like walt disney but like what if walt disney was played by like satanic animated squirrels <laughs> the squirrel that lives here well yeah by the way the squirrel You're that trapped lives in, this, in your garage been well been well <laughs> I can't get out of the garage and I had to, I, I knocked down one wall with a mallet rather than actually push the button that allowed me out because right. I was overseized by my bourgeois incapacity to function during a crisis of any kind. Boonwell films are a meditation on the existential crisis that is bourgeois people. They can't leave the room in, in an exterminating angel. They can't angel. function. They, so they, at one point they need water, but they can't go to the bathroom to get water or the kitchen. So they break a water pipe open in the wall. It's just crazy. Great. Um, so I'm sitting out there being exactly like that, having a complete existential crisis of being privileged. And I hear the nickering and the wickering and the gibbering and the chattering. And I look up and in front of me, um, there's a, a tall fence on one side and a, a, a field of date palms on the other. And, uh, and of course, just row after row after row of strawberries and blueberries, what? squash, whatnot, pumpkins. And, Who's um, tending these? I've been crops. planning. I've been planning them. So you haven't been out in a while. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm sitting there, except for yesterday, uh, and uh, I hear, and then crack, slang, and I look up, and the squirrel has broken a giant bamboo shoot. M mind you, a new one, not an old one. It was like a seven foot. Oh, 11 foot. And it was, he couldn't, he, you can't break an old bamboo shoot because they're rock hard. Only a panda could, you know, deal with it. They're so hard, but when they're young, they're tender. And uh, it broke in two, snap in the middle. And the squirrel ratcheted down like slalom down the, the fucking bamboo and went, hit the, hit the uh, uh, deck and went, and then ran off. I grabbed my phone. Right. And uh, because uh, I don't know if you know this, but I uh, a lot of my pictures, I was a photojournalist in Grenada during the invasion there. And um, when the really? yes, when the Cubans that were defending that noble island. Beat so their, you're like Sven Nickfist out there. Yeah, they beat their plowshares into um, uh, Kalishnikovs. And uh, that pre-dawn vertical insertion was one of the most astonishing weekends of my life during the Reagan administration. I, I have never really shared this with you because we, we weren't frequenting each other at that point. This was 82. 
But Grenada was, uh, I still carry the scars from a nutmeg shrapnel I got in my thigh. Did you say nutmeg? Yeah. As you know, Grenada is the world's primary source of nutmeg. Oh, the smell of nutmeg. That's what Robert Duval said in the movie. <laughs> Not quite. I love the smell of nutmeg in the morning. No. It smelled like... No. Like victory. Someday, this war's going to be over. Hmm. And sitting there, the squirrel hits the deck. I grab my phone to, to photo essay this. And it stops again. And literally, like, shook its fist at me. Then it ran up uh, the bower. Then it ran up the tree. And... It stopped halfway up the tree to yell at me more and spit. And so, You're okay. in his backyard. I know. The next night, um, Jennifer and I are out uh, in the driveway, in the garage, having a drink. And from up above, you hear... And then a, a, a flurry of, of confetti, a potpourri. It's just a, a bunch of leaves that he... Detritus. He threw at you. Detritus. But that, specifically at you. Oh, no. They landed right... He, he was on top of the garage, and yeah. he saw you, and he was like, no, I'm not having this. And this is the part where the squirrel and I are going to settle this shit, because yeah, I... I imagine this is the same squirrel that, when I've been in, in, the, in the yard, in the garden, with uh, the guy that brought the, some plants for us... We were being pelted with pecans. Yeah, the squirrel was chewing off pecans and throwing <laughs> them at you. I saw an angle for an advantage yesterday, and it stopped. I've been pretty and lucky. I, I, he doesn't seem to it, aim it at me. Didn't just throw a pecan; he, it he threw a branch at you. That he doesn't time. like men. Yeah, whatever. So I squared off. I jumped up. I put my beer down because that's you know how men work, and I I took a step back, and the goddamn squirrel was standing four feet down like this. And going like this, and staring over to see if he'd got me with the fucking flowers that he'd thrown and shit. The detritus. The squirrel's been a little upset ever since I got rid of the agave. The squirrel loves sitting on the agave, and you'd get up in the morning, and you'd be like, walk into the kitchen, and you'd see a squirrel poised. Yeah, just sitting there, a foot away, staring. A statue. A monument. A Greek statue of a squirrel. Just like that. But this reminds me of when we lived in London... We had a little uh, balcony, and when we left the kitchen door open, uh, there there was a a little wall between us and the neighbor. And by the way, we could all see each other over each yeah. other's yards. One, one day, we're we're there having coffee. This was the '90s, so all they heard from our place was Oasis and marijuana and venison sausages. I'd like to say very little Oasis. I was just Thank kidding. You very much. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're, we're sitting there on these, on these bar stools and all of a sudden a squirrel hops over the the wall from our neighbors and he's got an entire... Oh no, he disappears into the house and then comes out two seconds Danish later. He's got a Danish in his mouth. But a full Danish. entire Danish. But holding it and it's rigid like a pizza. It's sticking yeah. out. And it's clearly a delicious cheese Danish and he's got it in his mouth. And he stops and we look at him and he runs away. And it was like, oh my God, it stole a Danish it off the table. It was great. It was great. A we whole also, Danish. Do you remember this? We stayed at a flat near a railroad and I can't remember what neighborhood it was in. Kensington maybe? Yeah. Oh, I know where it you're was a, about. It was a mate of a mate who set us up with yeah. a flat. We didn't have nowhere to stay. And it was so, in Kensington. Yeah. My agent at the time set us up with a mate of hers who lived in Kensington. And she was going away for a week or something or two I, weeks. I, I believe she not so delicately told her friend, you have to leave so that Jennifer and Greg can stay. I was trying to make it more romantic. Yes, she did. She ordered her friend to leave and her friend left. And 
she had a, a bathtub, I remember, no shower. This was the 90s. And Lots of great uh, movies that we could watch, though. A superb movie collection and a and marijuana wanna, tree. Yeah, I was going to say that you rated. I, and she had a marijuana tree. With a note that said, I leave my bedroom window open a bit so that, I can't remember the name of the squirrel, yeah. can come in and eat chocolate. Cadbury bars that she left for it. And I was like, well, this is unusual. And her favorite adjective, as I recall, was it's a bit mental. She <laughs> goes, a squirrel comes in at night. And, it's, and then there's one train that goes, There's no. it's not very noisy here, but we were like, there's a train behind there? Because there was a, yeah. a, a, literally a choo-choo train behind us. And she went, it's not so bad during the day, it's just the commuter trains. But at night, at four in the morning... A train comes by that I think is carrying nuclear waste. Yeah, sleep tight, everyone. <laughs> Keep the window open for the squirrel. Quite and enjoyed don't that mind flat. the nuclear waste. I quite enjoyed that flash. How? At what? There point, was a marijuana tree. At what? That was where we were staying when we went your, to your Pink Floyd. Agent's assistant called and said, "Hey, you guys, remember that um, uh, charity?" event you're supposed to be at at the Dorchester, which I think was the poshest event we ever went yes. to. And uh, we were sitting on the floor stoned watching a movie. Yeah. And I said, is it when? And she's like, it's right now. <laughs> so Jennifer put on a dress. I, I had a dress that I bought for $30. Yeah. And Everyone at this place was in couture. Oh, they were wearing like tuxedos. Couture. Yeah. The women yeah. were wearing actual couture. Yeah. And I put on um, a, a, a linen suit that I got from like Dinah Karen or something because it was the only <laughs> suit I owned. I just remember it is literally one of the, my most embarrassing celebrity moments. So we go to this gig and we, it's real crowded and we got there late because we were stone watching TV and I forgot that I was performing and um, <laughs> it was, uh, what, what I was going to say is that, so we get there and you went, you were whisked backstage right? and I was seated uh, at a table and there was not enough chairs for everyone. So I kept saying like, Oh no, I'm, I'm not going to take a seat. And this man said, Oh no, you must, you know, here, yeah. take my chair. No, you must take my chair. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And, uh, finally I realized it was Nikki Mason, the drummer from Pink Floyd. Yeah. Set the controls for the heart of the and sun. And he said to me, he said, I've tried to show you every kindness. He said to me, I've tried to show you every kindness. I've stood kindness. up. I've offered you my chair, but and you And then I realized that I've just, I've blown it. I've just blown it. Yeah. So, and we're, we're at like the pride of place table. Yeah. And this is where this is transparent. So everyone's watching this. Uh, uh, Dame Edna, what's his? I, I was, I was seated in between Nikki Mason and uh, the wife of. Uh, Barry Humphreys. Dame the comedian. Edna. Yeah. Right. Who Barry Humphreys. And, uh, yeah, it was posh. It was posh. So there was people there from every rock group from the last 40 years of British history. And if you remember the group Shakespeare's sister, um, Marcy Detroit, the American mm -hmm. one was there from that. And, uh, I got up and told jokes. Tony Hawk's got up and told jokes. We, it actually was very fun. They laughed at our jokes. They were a good crowd. They weren't a corporate crowd because they were, it was a, a benefit for leukemia and they charity. Were, everyone got Roaring drunk because Surprise. it was British musicians from the sixties and seventies. Yeah, this was the nineties, and everyone got roaring drunk. And Marcy Detroit got up and sang. And uh, I remember at one point, uh, David Gilmore was on stage, and Nikki Mason turned to me and went, "Oh look, a rock god." That's what we call them. That's what we call them. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was hilarious. Mickey Mason was the funniest goddamn human alive, and him and his wife were so nice to us that night. I remember I was pretty high on stage, and I turned to David Gilmore's table and went, Hey, David, do you remember this from the 70s? Ow, ow, ow. Like that. And no one could believe it. And he was red faced drunk. And the crowd laughed. And it was like, wow, man. I was like, I'm from America. That I had was to a listen. weird night. I had to listen to every Pink Floyd album in high school. And I never owned one. But I heard, uh, what's the one? We didn't have to own them because you just. Yeah. Inevitably, you were going to hear it. Dark Side of the Moon. Wish You Were Here. Uh, pigs, war pigs. What's I think that I one? revealed that I was so not a fan that I didn't recognize Nicky Mason. No, you did not. So, Nobody, but he's the drummer. But that's Even how, if you knew but that's how nice he was that he wasn't pissed at me for not recognizing him. Did they him. ever put their faces on an album cover? They never put their faces no, on an album cover. It was always hypnosis. He was lovely. He was so lovely. And, um, yeah, she left candy for a squirrel on the kitchen table, I think, and the squirrel was supposed to come in at night, and we were supposed to just deal right, with that. Right, we were that. supposed to leave the candy bar, getting back to where we were staying in Kensington. Uh, Quilterina Tina is uh, someone who makes uh, masks oh, yes. during the... Let's see. I have a Facebook, a Facebook group called Quilterina Tina, and it's spelled exactly as you would think it would be, Quilterina and then Tina. And um, she does... Um, uh, this Frank Conifold loved this um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 masks really? as well. She sent us these beautiful masks. Um, they were really nicely done. And they say in tiny letters. Fuck Trump. They're beautiful. <laughs> Tina offered to do this for us. Uh, she's at quilterina at gmail.com. You can order one from her. Um, she did a Tim Curry mask, a Lori Petty, a Tank Girl mask, Trace Ooh, Blue, yeah. Wow. A lot of family favorites. Um, she's a lovely uh, person, and she sent us some masks uh, gratis, and uh, we want to thank her for that. And it's quilterina at gmail.com. Quilterina Tina is her name on her Facebook group. Um, Marshall E. Merritt II. It's Marat. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I mispronounce that? Marshall E. Marat II. Not that I've looked it up. Was mentioned in the show by Jennifer a couple of weeks ago because um, of the jazz legend Henry Grimes, who had such a an astonishing roller coaster career where he was in the heart of the matter and then due to um, issues that he had and poverty and whatnot, mm-hmm. was out of the matter. He, he had some mental issues and, and he actually left uh, the stage in San Francisco and just realized that he needed to get away. And Marshall Marat was a social worker from Athens, Georgia. And today I've, I found there's a... He reached out to Greg uh, about the show. Right, because you'd, you'd done his story. And there, there's actually a, a piece online called The Life and Death and Life of Henry Grimes. What side is that from? By someone uh, named Henry Cherry. And, oh, the LA Times? Well, I, no, I looked oh. up some other things. Okay. And um, in it, Marshall Murat talks about he didn't just go looking for him. He had to go through public records, and he finally got from another social worker uh, a phone number. And, he, and as he put it, uh, there were a lot of Henry Grimes. And he right. called uh, an SRO, which is a single-room occupancy hotel yes. in downtown L.A., and he said he could hear noise and yelling in the background. And he waited on the phone for 15 minutes, and uh, finally someone came down, and he said, "Are you, 
you, the Henry Grimes that played with Alvin Ayler mm-hmm. and uh, Albert Ayler, Alvin I mean, Ayler. and Cecil Taylor. And the guy said, yeah, that was a long time ago. And he realized he'd found him. Which is so amazing. So he spent all that time and effort being a beautiful person and trying to rescue this free jazz legend mm-hmm. from obscurity. Yeah. And, uh, and poverty. Well, a single room is not a great place to be. Henry Grimes was, was a, a poetic person because he said that he spent a lot of time in, in that period, which uh, where no one could get a hold of him. He spent a lot of time in the library. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, also, Did he have a horn? Apparently, no. He had his bass. He didn't right. have the bass. That's oh, right. His and, accent. And uh, but people who knew him said that he sounded the same before and then after. Which is how does that work? Because um, he's a great artist. In the L.A. Times article from 2003, he said uh, they asked him, "What does it feel like to have worked with the greats?" And he said, "It kind of interferes with my sleep." Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Signal to Noise was the first, uh, uh, I'm not sure if it was a magazine at the time, uh, where he gave them an interview. Right. And they said, uh, when he passed away in April, we just lost two of the greats. Regarding Henry, I remember the day a man named Marshall Marat called us. Really? And asked if I'd be interested in an interview with a jazz legend. Well, maybe, I replied. When he told me he'd tracked down Henry Grimes, who'd been lost to the jazz world for decades, I nearly dropped the phone. Being the first publication to offer the news of Henry's return was a landmark event for us, and we were lucky to be able to keep in touch with Henry and hear him play several times in New York and Houston. That's so beautiful, Jennifer. Thank you for that. Um, Here's what he wrote to us. Um, hi, Greg. Uh, it was such a pleasant surprise to hear you and Jennifer talk about Henry Grimes and Giuseppe Logan, who was the other mm-hmm. cat who passed away that week. I'm the person who located Henry back in 2002. And by the way, this is with his permission. I wrote Mr. Marat back and asked him if I could share this. But imagine how much work it is to get to the SRO in downtown L.A. to find him. And It's digging an unbelievable and detective he didn't have research. A, he, Henry Grimes didn't have a phone no. in his room. This is no This is the, the person internet. at the Mm-mm. desk downstairs had to go get him. And it took a year. And bring him to the yeah, phone. And he didn't want to come. And yeah. Whatever. Um, and Giuseppe Logan, I'm the person who located Henry back in 2002 and assisted him. So he had 18 years back. And I think over 700 gigs. And assisted him getting back into playing. His playing in whereabouts had been an obsession of mine for many years. I'm so grateful. Isn't that beautiful that he writes that? That he had a second act later in his life. I was quite upset at his passing. And also learning of Mr. Logan's death from this awful virus. Thank you both for shining a light on both these incredible musicians. I'm a big fan. I love you. You're hip and funny people. All the best. Um, Marshall Marat. And um, we wrote him back, and we're in contact with Mr. Marat. Um, I think it speaks to about a thousand things here, but let's start at the beginning. You're a person who cares, and you're a person who digs deep to find the things that uh, matter to you about a certain situation. Marshall was someone who went out of his way to make someone's mm-hmm. life completely different. It he, took him a long time to do it. He turned it around for Henry yeah. Grimes profoundly. It can be done, though, is what I'm saying. It's yes. not an impossible yes. act. And it can, it's much simpler than this. There's people all around you that you can change their life. Well, I think that this is what these times are, are 
you know, forcing everyone's hand to reach out. Mm. There, there's, you know, there is no, you know, wait till tomorrow. You have to do it today. Talk to your neighbor. Talk to your friends. Well, and if there's somebody that you, you, you know, has mattered to you a lot and you wonder how they're doing and maybe they're not doing so great, maybe you can make a change in their life. It's as easy as um, communicating. And um, sometimes it's difficult, obviously. Um, and with people who um, are, you're scared of or are not good in your life, uh, you mustn't. This is not the time for that. But for everyone else that you want to talk to and um, I know that you and I have had, Jennifer, uh, a, a zillion people come through from oh my God. I've, I've, every I've period of from, our lives. From high school friends. I've heard from a friend who lives in Helsinki who's a vascular surgeon. Um, I've heard from all sorts of uh, lovely people. And Why is it not surprising that you'd have a friend in Helsinki who's a vascular <laughs> surgeon? After knowing I you remember, as, as I do. I, I, and I have to add that, that we, when we were there in Helsinki briefly, um, and I never thought that I'd ever be there, um, she came to the show and we had dinner with her afterwards. I had and, reindeer, and, by the way. And Just she, full disclosure and, and, on that. And she, I had reindeer stew. And Sorry for that. I don't want to trigger the wow, animal rights people. Wow. But I had reindeer stew. And uh, she is a vascular surgeon and uh, also a. a cancer specialist and a scratch golfer and you're right and greg said to her oh you're quite accomplished and she said because she's finished yes <laughs> and that was just hilarious it's like <laughs> i remember i was trying to pay her a compliment we were at dinner together we took her to some fancy hotel or something and had a really nice dinner you're very accomplished yes <laughs> okay, well, this is where you're supposed to say I really liked your show, but never mind now because my ego's already crushed because you're better than I am as a human. I, I thought I took it more as that she she was well aware of how awesome she was. She spoke three or four languages. She was a scratch golfer, not in Finland, but all over the continent. She'd oh, yeah. go to Spain and went oh, yeah. home. Yeah. She had a handicap of like three. I mean, she yeah, was, she's, you know. She's kind of phenomenal. And not only was she a heart surgeon, she was also a... Um, a brain surgeon or something? No, or was cancer, a, I, cancer. As I just said, vascular surgeon. I missed that because I was thinking about myself. Cancer. Um, anyway, you'd like Helsinki, and when this is all over, we're all going there. And you Helsinki know where we're going? Helsinki has the cues. We're going to Pulitzer. Pulitzer's, what's the name of that place that's on the middle on the main drag where we had fresh asparagus and fish? Strindberg. Strindbergs. Downstairs was a bakery. Oh, had coffee and cakes. Were so, and the upstairs food was the was restaurant. Good. And we were eating with this Finnish family that was every generation. There was ten of them at least, and there was the grandfather. Everyone there. Yeah, it was. It was sort of like a. I realized we were in Finland, but it was like a Bergman movie. So much, and we had football well, Scandinavia. We had fresh fish. And Finland is not. I know they're not. They're not Scandies. They're. Um, uh, they're singular. What is? The, what's their country called? Um, Swaman. Swaman. Although. I want two K's in my name what, instead what, of two what, O's. What does the sign say in our hotel room? Don't be like a bed potato. Don't be like a bed potato. <laughs> the internet was so good in Finland that the computer rattled when we downloaded a movie. It um, downloaded before we wanted it to. We were given a bottle of Finlandia, um, which was a little too on the nose, way out appropriate. Um, yeah, good times. We want to go back. Mui. Um, the, drink, the glass I'm drinking out of right now is from a place called Itala. Mm-hmm. And, um, it Which has, is awesome because on the main drag there in Helsinki, the design studio from the 40s, it's still all there. 
they've preserved it because they have so many awesome homeware design. And like all the places, uh, I know Finland's not, they're not Scandies per se, and I don't even know if Scandi is a bad word to say. (laughs) Um, The Norwegians and the Swedes, who we've also visited, sadly, not the the Danes or the um, Iceland. not yet. That's coming up in two years' time. God damn it, we're going to Reykjavik and Copenhagen. The Icelandic uh, minister is one of the women that is handling this whole virus. And the Swedish PM is a man who's... Really being a giant Scandinavian so knob about this. The Finnish government, awesome. all young women. Uh, <clears throat> Everyone the, in the Finnish government the woman is a that, woman. Right. The woman who's the, uh, is she the president of Taiwan? Yes. The president of Taiwan, um, South Korea, Germany, uh, um, Jacinda in right. uh, New, New Zealand. Zealand Oregon. All, yeah. Uh, the women have handled this quite well. Angela Merkel. The men, not quite as well. Hi, cats and kittens. This is the old Proop Dog talking to you from the Fortress of Proopitude. We have a groovy new sponsor who wants to coerce you into going to their website. And yes, they want you to buy stuff. It's called CoolestStuffInTheWorld.com. And they make some interesting things. Beautiful, vertically mounted magnetic chest sets that look nice enough to be wall art. Cool wood kits for kids to make some beautiful wall hangings like owls and turtles and trees. And they make these neat little stick vases. A cool, inexpensive Mother's Day gift that you can fill with just about any kind of sticks or dried flowers and are meant to drag some creativity out of just about anyone. Their latest gizmo is called the Amazing Totally Adjustable Mobile Thingy. It's fun for kids and adults alike. It's like a beautiful balance puzzle you can put together in thousands of different ways, maybe zillions of ways. We don't know. No one's ever done the math. In any case, check out CoolestStuffInTheWorld.com. Most items qualify for free shipping through the end of May. And if you use the coupon code PROOPS at checkout, you'll get a free puller that allows you to open many commercial doors and press buttons touch-free. Go check it out, cooleststuffintheworld.com, and use the coupon code P-R-O-O-P-S. Don't forget the R. I love you. I'm going to go into some uh, uh, stuff here, and then let's do some charities for a while. But I want to talk about a couple gigs I'm doing. Yeah, I have gigs. Uh, John King, who's a lovely friend of the show and someone that um, we love, who runs the Jack Kerouac House uh, outside of Orlando, Florida. And the Jack Kerouac House was, until the containment, um, a haven for writers. A writer was brought there. They were allowed to write. They were allowed to pursue their craft. And they were living in the house that Jack Kerouac lived in at the end. At the end, was it? Was that where he was living then? In any case, um, John does a show called, um, oh God, was it Drunken Pirates or something? Anyway, Loose Lips. And uh, he hosted it. I did one. Did you just go Drunken Pirates to Loose Lips? I did because I couldn't remember the name of the show. But when I find it here, Jennifer, you're going to find that... Uh, my interpretation of it, here it is, The Drunken Odyssey, not The Drunken Pirate. Loose Lips is a current events-inspired reading series held in the bohemian confines of little Lil, L-I apostrophe L, Lil Indies near downtown Orlando. But in May of 2020, uh, the virus necessitated loose lipping into the ether. Mm. Mm. Someone listens to our show. Um... The writers are Ryan Rivas, Ronan Ryan, Dallas Woodburn, Todd Cavanis, Rick Mooney, Chad Anderson, Blair Hurley, but heavy on the men, and Greg Proops. That's this week's show. It's at YouTube, and it's called The Drunken Odyssey is the <laughs> name of it. It's really good fun. John wrote a book called Guy Psycho and the uh, Ziggurat of Shame, and it's just <laughs> really, really great 
surrealist fun. It's just a fun, fun surrealist book. I don't know what I'm doing there. Wasn't it weird that when we sat down, Charles Williford's I Was Looking for a Street just popped up? Right? Charles Williford? I've been reading a lot of detective fiction, and I'm still on that Like, jag. it literally fell out of our bookcase. Well, Charles Williford landed. one of the great uh, oh, American authors. I just feel wonderful. like he's like Jim Thompson. Or, uh, he's no- better than Jim Thompson. I mean, Jim Thompson is uh, in, in his own... You're going to get a lot of letters. No, Fan I mail for Greg at gmail.com. I love Jim Thompson. No, no, bring it. If you Charles have an issue with what Jennifer writing. just said, I need you to write me. Stop it. <laughs> I've read all of Jim Thompson. Me too. And I've read almost all of Charles Williford. What's your favorite Jim Thompson and what's your favorite Charles Williford? Let's start there. Well, I think The Getaway by Jim Thompson and oh also God, the, the biography of Jim Thompson, you which always, I have. Right. You is, always say The Getaway. Um, I've never read that. It is called, and I have it right here. So Come on. Just, bring it up. Bring it from the bookcase. It's called Savage Art, a biography of Jim Thompson by Robert... Polito. Polito. Wow. Um, That's where my glaucoma surgery came in handy. That was right in my zone. And then my favorite, Williford. I love love Burnt Orange Heresy. I do too. But I really love New Hope for the Dead. New Hope for the Dead is the third of the Hope Mosley books. The first one's Miami Blues, which was a movie with Alec Baldwin, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Fred... Really? Come on. It's not a good movie. What's his name? Armitage made it. Richard Armitage is it? It's not good. But it's what people will know. The books are great. The books are great. New Hope for the Dead is a really wild one. Um, Charles Williford's a a very cool writer. um, uh, A keen uh, purveyor of prose. My favorite Jim Thompson book, I think, might be... I love that you always bring up... um, Which one did you say about Jim Thompson? The Getaway? The Getaway. I never think of that one. I always think of... Um, the Killer Inside Me and Population 1280. Oh, my God. The Killer Inside Me is fantastic. The Killer Inside Me is a, uh, was remade a couple of years oh, ago. it's so good. Um, uh, and yeah, that was the movie that bizarrely, um, who was the actor Gary Cooper wanted to make. Yes. Which would have been, I think, would have blown everyone away. Uh, the plot of The Killer Inside Me, ever so briefly, is a small-town sheriff named Lou Ford, who's a king of um, um, glibness. Everyone comes to him and says, Lou, this is happening. Lou, that's happening. There's been this crime. And he'll go, well, I ain't saying there is, and I ain't saying there ain't. Um, a movie was made of it that I'm not going to really talk about uh, a few years ago. <laughs> but um, Gary Cooper read the book in the 50s and went to the studio and said, I want to play this. And they said, it'll ruin your career. Because aside from being a, a lovely, drawling, small-town sheriff who kind of bullshits everyone, he's a terrible murderer. And that's yes. the killer inside me. Yes. It's a marvelous book. Uh, There's I, also a coup de torchon. That's the best version, I think. Yeah. Um, a Philippe Noiré, uh, who's a French actor, made by Tavernier in mm-hmm. the um, 80s. And coup de torchon relocates the book from West Texas to equatorial Africa. So he's in a colonial situation and he's the sheriff of this small town in Africa and he's the one committing all the crimes and then trying to cover them up. Right, in Senegal. Senegal. And it's really a, a, a bloody marvelous um, detective picture. I'm going to take a small detour and then I want to go to these gigs and then the charities. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the hit by... Um, Stephen Frears mm-hmm. from the early 80s. 80s. John Hurt and Terrence Stamp. Yeah. And I know if you're a Tim Roth person, I uh, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. 
Sometimes I feel like a nut. Sometimes I don't. It's quite a good film. Um, Fernando Ray's in it. It's it's a terrific picture. Why? Terrence Stamp plays one of his usual existential characters. He's a gangster who um, um, turned over evidence at a trial against the gang that he was in, which they call in England being a grass. And if you really, really grass on your gang, you're called a super grass, which is why the... Well, it's sort of like a sexy beast in, mm. in that someone uh, even shadier has to come from England to Spain yeah. to extract their prey. Sexy Beast has a lot of echoes. Uh-huh. It, it's, it's grandfather is definitely... John Hurt is wonderful. And so John Hurt sent um, from England to go gather uh, Terrence Stamp, who's this guy who's grassed, and he brings with him Tim Roth, who's, I think it might be his first gig as a hitman. So they are two hitmen and they're at each other. And John Hurt has an enormous gun and a white suit and a big cigarette. His cigarette's outsized. Everything in the movie is beautifully calculated. And there's always a sense of humor that John Hurt brings to even the and darkest role. And Terrence Stamp. Well, Terrence Stamp is, but he brings his luminescent beauty. But he's, I think Terrence Stamp's funny. I think there's an arch. I, Michael King too, but. You're not going to get any argument with me. I, I adore Priscilla? Terrence Stamp. Oh my God, he's so funny. And but I don't know if he knows that he's funny. He yeah, does. well, some some of it, obviously, he he has. That, but I mean, in the seen, hit, he's playing such a hippie, transcendental. I'm a reclaimed. He's such gangster a hilarious narcissist. A, yes. No, but I mean, in real life as yeah, well. Yeah, he went to live in an ashram and all that. He, I saw him interviewed, and he said that. He, Please talk about this interview. Oh There's my God, so it was many parts so great. He swanned in. Can, can we stop for just one second? Let me reset for the crowd. Yeah. Terrence Stamp is a British actor who you'll know from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. He still books. He's in his 80s now. He's gorgeous. In the 60s... He's it, mentioned in a kink song. Right. Terry and Julie go down by the river. Waterloo sunset. I am in paradise. Which is a song I, I sing to myself every single time I'm in London. And you and I shall soon be there again and hold hands. And look at that bridge. Terrence Stamp is, in, uh, is mentioned in the King song. Um, in his 60s movies, it's far from the Madden crowd, the collection, a lot of really pervy stuff. It's great. He's in uh, Pasolini's Terrorema. He's, he's just, he has uh, so many outstanding roles. And then and in the 80s Superman, but, he's Zog, so for those but, of you who know that. For, <laughs> no, I want to include everybody, I, our sci-fi was, friends. What I was going to say is when I saw him interviewed at the Egyptian... He said that he never auditioned for a role. Yeah. And that's easy to believe. When he came back, he's gorgeous. He was in India at an ashram and he received a telegram requesting him to be Superman. Right. He had made a picture in three, five. Yeah. yeah, and so I mean, just the, the hilarity of someone being sent to India to retrieve him—it's sort of like an abfab moment, right. right? Because the studio had to go. He we really want is that Terrence person. Stamp to play Zog in Superman Two. By the way, in Superman One, he's sent off in a mirror. In Superman Two, he's the villain, the main villain, and I think that's how a lot of people of our generation. Uh, we were what an, you know you were but a child but I was in my really? 20s really that's gross mm, it's fine um, we can argue that later in another uh, 
and he, he's been in uh, the uh, Sexy Beast. Uh, he's not in, but he's in a picture called um, a, a Soderbergh picture of all picture of all directors. Um, not my favorite, but that, a very effective picture called Limey. Oh, Peter Fonda where, and him are so wonderful in that. Yeah, it's a really good picture with uh, Barry Newman, who's a '70s star, uh, Peter Fonda, who's an everything star, and Terrence Stamp. There's a great scene where Terrence Stamp gets thrown out of a warehouse and then goes back in and you're thinking, wait a minute, there's a bunch of killers in there. And then you realize, oh no, it's Terrence Stamp. And he was roommates with Michael Caine in the 60s in London for real. So, you know, those people in the warehouse better watch out. And sure enough, he comes out and everyone else is dead. Yeah. Oh no. And he leaves one. Spoiler alert. He leaves one. Yeah. He leaves one guy alive so that the guy can run away until like Kaiser Sose. Right. Go back and tell the gang that I'm here. And I'm wreaking biblical havoc. Terrence Stamp. So, all right. Here's the two things I uh, I want to know about this this, uh, talk that you went to see with Terrence Stamp. Yes. You said his his posture was perfect. He does a lot of yoga. Yes. You also said that he was trolling the crowd for chicks. Oh, there, there was some, yeah. He he had some moments where he was just sort of uh, wandering around, looking at the audience. And then, what about his comments about different? Um, was it Fellini? Who did he make the movie with? That he was on the um, uh, the Spanish Steps in Rome. That was he was. Uh, I think it was Silvana. Morgana, Morgana, I can't remember how who to made pronounce the, uh, the Vernalese. No, um. no, he was with his brother, Chris Stamp, who was the manager of the Who. Thank you. Chris Stamp was co-manager, fantastically. Of and the, so there were, two they were two, like them. hot brothers. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? He, the manager was far better looking than the band he managed, yeah. and they were so he and his brother Terrence were at uh, the Spanish Steps, and this actress Savannah Morgana walked by and. Terrence Stamp said that he thought she was the most beautiful oh, it wasn't, uh, woman that he'd ever uh-huh, seen. Okay. And she stopped and said, she noticed the hot Stamp brothers and said, you know, I know this man named Pasolini and, he, and they didn't know who she was talking about. Right. And she said, well, he's doing this movie and I think he might be right for it. And Terrence Stamp took it because he thought she was hot. Not because he knew who Pasolini was. Unbelievably awesome. I don't even know how to follow that. I'm, I don't think And it's perfect for him because he plays this sort of messiah character who sleeps with everyone in the family. And of course... When didn't he play it's that It's Pasolini, role? so it's, it's a, a diatribe against class. I was going to say, the Catholic Church movie? Yeah, well, duh. Well, I can't do that, but I can do this in my own minor way. Uh, we talked about the John King thing. Um, I'm doing a couple gigs coming up. We did a stand-up show at the Nowhere Comedy Club, and I want to thank everybody who came out to that. All of our friends. That was a lot of fun. Kaylin, Kayak, um, Spencer, uh, John King, um, everybody who came out to see us. It's as close as you're going to get to a comedy club right now. I can see all of you, and I can hear all your laughter. There was a dog snoring. A phone went off. It was great, yeah. And um, so I'm doing another one. Uh, our Ben Glebe, who's a good friend of ours, the Glebling, as I like to call him. He calls me the Proop Dog, and I call him the Glebling. Um, he's young, he's Jewish, he's vital. <laughs> uh, we're doing a show called uh, Greg and Glebe, it's a G thing, uh, May 12th, at the Nowhere Comedy Club. How can you find it? Eventbrite.com. Eventbrite, 
dot com. Uh, we're gonna riff. Uh, he's quite a good riffer. Um, we're gonna do that. I hear you ask lots of things, and um, the answer is yes. They're all gonna happen. Um, I'm also doing Saturday Night Live at the Stand this weekend. Uh, what's the stand? I hear you ask. Um, uh, Scottish comedian. I think he's a comedian. I don't know what he calls himself. Uh, named Mark. He's hosting it. Uh, the Stand is a comedy club in Glasgow, Scotland. If there's one thing that you need to know about Glasgow, Scotland, it's the heart of comedy. Um, <laughs> America has lots of gigs, but the only place I'm ever nervous is Glasgow. Glaswegians are not to be trifled with. I will be doing five minutes there on um, this weekend. Um, you can find them at uh, Saturday Night Live at the Stand. Um, I really can't wait. And... Um, I'm going to do all Glasgow humor. What does that mean? I'm going to tell many stories about going to Glasgow. Yeah, there's the one about the Turkish barber who massaged my head so brutally that I had black and blue marks all over my forehead. And Jennifer was like, what happened? Didn't you notice at any point during that procedure that it might have been too harsh? I had no safe word. When I came in, I was wearing loafers and the purple butterfly socks you'd bought me. And he said to me... Uh, and what do you do for a loving? And I said, I'm a, uh, I'm a comedian. And he said, I thought you said you were a, what was it? Hair dresser. Yeah, a hair dresser. Oh, God. That's great. He gave me a squatty haircut. He cut my hair like I was in the Territorial Army in England. So that means the back was real short. The top was super short. And... I hadn't told Jennifer that this happened to me or that I'd gone to the guy. Ten quid, by the way. Shave included. I got a shave. Well, you, you know, you got what you paid for. He took a straight razor and rode it over a strop like this. Chop, 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 chop. And then filled. he put a yellow. Do you want me to have nightmares? Yellow polyester towel on my face and then filled it with foam. And uh. then he did all my neck, whatnot. I let a Glaswegian take a straight razor to my neck. And then your call. He did a very poor job under the nose. Seriously? Yeah, but no, under the nose, it's a little Omar Sharif dark. Well, you know how I am. I'm so virile about every pore Swarthy. of my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we went to Paris right after that. But the awesome Paris, where you think you might be able to get a, a nice uh, coiffure, haircut. Coiffure. Yeah, you think. Um, the best part of that story and the happy ending of it is um, that because he cut my hair so short. Um, it, it grew out really dark after that. It, it, it did grow out like a shrub. Maybe Glasgow has some magic that we're not really ready to deal with. That's this Saturday, May 9th, at the stand. I'm, I'm still scarred from when we were there last, seeing people in, well, barefoot. Barefoot at the hotel lobby Wow! in wintertime. Are you sure that wasn't New Zealand? Glasgow, Greg, for Nightmare. You're Nightmare right. Before Christmas, there were people You're without right. shoes in our lobby. And, by the way, it wasn't warm in any um, way. I think uh, freezing might describe it. It was beyond freezing. It was so cold that you and I walked maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes back from a, a neighborhood near us. And we were both had like chill blains and I wrote a diary to uh, the world because I, I of how I was I dying. I couldn't feel my legs. No, it was really cold. 
But Glasgow has a way of being Arctic cold. And when you get up in the morning and you look at I think at the, it's about that whole being north on an island. And we thing. were on, right on the river on that hotel, um, the Clyde. Uh, when you get up in the morning and the weather is white, just white, like, really? You look out the window and there's no... There's, there's yeah, you can't see anything. And yet the people there have the best sense of humor. They make the oh best food. Oh my God, food. they're so funny. They're, they're, they're the best audience. They're the funniest people. Uh, I, we love Glasgow. We're going back. We're going back this Saturday. You can watch us at live, uh, Saturday Night Live at the stand. Um, Mark Kermode and I uh, did a little thing last week with a bunch of film stars. He always includes me, which I really appreciate because... Uh, I get included uh, with John King with writers, and I get included with Mark Commode with film stars, and I'm neither a, a particularly famous writer or film star. Um, uh, Mira Sial, uh, let's see, uh, let's see, Kumar, Jack and Dean. Oh, the funniest, best loved, and most respected film critic in the UK. I wouldn't say that about Mark, but there you are. <laughs> uh, an array of guests from the world. Uh, Gugu Mabatha Raw. Uh, talks about misbehavior in Bell for our English friends. Uh, Mira Sial, a prolific actress and treasure since Goodness Gracious Me and the Kumars, which was a very vital show about showing um, what we would call uh, Asians uh, in English TV. Jack Howard, writer, director, one half of Jack and Dean. And uh, comedian and podcast host Greg Proops. It's called, it's on the BFI website. It's also called uh, MK3D, Mark Kermode in Live 3D. Um, I was looking at something today, Jennifer, and I just want to hit it for a second before we do the charities, and I'd like to let you take over here. Uh, we Rise LA, I can't remember what side it was on, or I think it was one of the write-on things I look at. But this is what I liked. It's called We Rise LA, but of course anyone can dip in. And uh, they have a calendar of events and stuff, and there it is. Mindful Moments with the Tree, live performance, Drag Queen Story Hour with Pickle. Drag Queen Story? Drag Queen Story Hour with Pickle. That's in the morning. Uh, we had this one today, but the things that are coming what up... What is are, it? Where is it? It's online, and you go in, mm -hmm. and there's yoga, there's a, um, Get Lit's Annual Classic Slam, Body and Mind Emotional Boot Camp. It's just good fun, and I, and I think it's really right on. It's talking about a lot of ways to mm -hmm. relax and reprocess and uh, get our shit together, and that is at werise.la. Um, our mayor here in L.A. Mayor Garcetti. Yes, Eric Garcetti is working with hotels and catering ki kitchens, and they've uh, reached out to 3,000 seniors so far to enroll for free meals. They're working with uh, hospitality training academy kitchens. They're looking for restaurants to help with them because they're trying to provide home-delivered meals for people over 65 oh God, who need so them. Important. And there's a phone number to call. Please. 213-263-5226. Uh, what was that number, Jennifer? 213-263-5226. What's the course, name of this group? This is L.A. Uh, City Coronavirus Senior Meals. So you can find that online. And uh, they're partnering with restaurants uh, to help deliver meals to the elderly. Um, they've got a site to help uh, 
connect college counselors to high school students. Mm-hmm. They have a jobs portal Vital in LA. Because so many students are graduating exactly, right now, and they need to get sorted for the fall assistance to get to because college. college is going to continue for high school students. Um, they have an LA jobs portal, which is lajobsportal.org, what to was provide it? LA jobsportal.org to provide employment opportunities and resources to workers who've been laid off and or seen their hours cut. Um, there's a list of food resources, which is food resources, LA County, um, dot hub, uh, food what? banks, student meals, elder nutrition programs, farmers markets, world central kitchen map. Will you give that address again? Well, it's sort of lengthy. Food resources. We'll put it up online. Okay. Food resources. L A County dot hub dot R A R. Yeah, I'll just. That's just too Start complicated. There. Um, it's really important that our mayor and our governor are using science as their logic. Yeah. Empathy, sympathy, and understanding that um, the poor are getting the brunt of this. That a rich, privileged person who has access to all the best health care is casting himself as a victim while others die in their numbers. And while others um, ply the front lines as um, working in grocery stores and nurses and uh, garbage people. And it's all it's the really people. important. Um, in San Francisco, they tried to test everyone in my old zip code uh, right. in San Francisco and in the mission. They, they found that uh, of the people they tested, the Latinx population was 90% positive. And it seemed to break down to who can afford to stay home or, or can work from home and who has to leave their home to work. Well, it's white people that can work from home. Largely, yes. But, I mean, we have to be mindful of this and realize that not everyone can just stay at home. And uh, in L.A., a large number of grocery store workers are testing positive. So, again, you know, wear your mask. Be mindful of others. We're a community. There's nothing more important than sort of trying to take other people's life into account. And especially this whole movement toward I'm going to carry a gun and shout a lot. And or even I, I'm going to go on with my life. It's every, I need to go out to the beach. No, no, you do not need to go out to the beach. The, you don't. You need to stay home and you need to wear a mask when you go out. And even, that means even if you're just walking out. We don't have a vaccination yet. No, the solutions are a little thin on the ground. Here's how you can help in Los Angeles. First responders is respondersfirst.la. The homeless, beauty to the streets.org, and that's beauty with a two, the streets.org. Um, for older people in LA, the seniors, uh, a group that goes around and feeds everybody, is called lacedars.org. Restaurant workers. Jennifer and I are devotees of restaurants, and my goodness. Um, also, if you can, 
order directly from places. Yes, I've been, them. I have been trying to avoid any kind of third party uh, because they don't they don't pay their workers enough, and they they gouge their restaurants and the stores. There's a disconnect there that's really awful that I mean, happened in the last. In few. olden days, you would just have a delivery person from said store, and we try to actually work with. Uh, our <clears throat> liquor delivery is from a store that we know that they actually send a guy we know. That's a Frank and Darling, uh, Starling. It's a Frank and Darling, and Dardling? it's a Frank and Darling. Do you remember um, Orville and Dibs? What? Yes, it's a Frank and Starling um, disclosure. But yes, we do shop locally and shop from. I mean, the, the nice thing because we live in Los Angeles is that we can. We we are now buying from more local farms than we ever have. Right. Um, but I mean, it's important to support those people. Yes, it is. Because I, w- I was just reading today about how um, the vice president of Amazon in Vancouver yeah. quit. Uh, and it might have cost him a million dollars, but he wanted to protest the firing of whistleblowers. Because of the working conditions during all of this, I quit in dismay at Amazon firing whistleblowers who are making noise about warehouse employees frightened. Uh, Tim Bray, who most recently served as vice president and distinguished engineer at Amazon Web Services, wrote, with big tech salaries and share vestings, this will probably cost me not to mention the best job I've ever had working with awfully good people, so I'm pretty blue. But he did the right thing. Um, Rather than listen to the complaints of the employees who are forced to work long hours and close together without proper safety precautions, they fired a bunch of the people who complained. And rather than listen to their complaint during the meeting that he refers to in that gigantic blog post, he uh, says they just shut them down. Um, So if you're buying books, buy them from your local bookstore like Esawan or City Lights. If you're buying goods, try to find your local purveyor. If you're buying other things, you know, like just find that local business that could really use your support right now. Here's a couple in L.A. Uh, The seniors, uh, lacedars.org. It's L-A-C-E-D-A-R-S dot org. Restaurant workers was... um, Secure restaurant workers SCF.org. Um, the elderly and homebound in LA, Meals on Wheels America.org. The hungry, Feeding America.org. Feeding America is an amazing thing because you can put in your postcode and it'll tell you exactly who to deliver to in your local area. Um, you can volunteer and whatnot. Um, the hungry is Feeding America. Undocumented workers. Uh, the United States is built on this. Los Angeles is... Um, Nancy Pelosi has a great program that she's trying to get past about dealing with that. Let me read this and then let's go to that. It's a link tree. Um, that's linktr.ee stroke news without you. And that's for undocumented workers. Street vendors in L.A. have a GoFundMe. And restaurant and gig workers have an ofweemergencyfund.org. They're um, up against it. Leah, so let's talk about Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris's awesome uh, initiatives lately. They've been so busy, I I really can't believe it. Doing the work of the nation. How hard they work. Um, I'd like to think that Nancy Pelosi is our president. 
And it, I'd like to think that Kamala Harris is our next vice president, at the uh, very uh, least. <laughs> um, hopefully, president thereafter. Um, I I love them both so much, and uh, Kamala Harris, of course, had the the Safe Vote Act. Uh, she's she was talking on Instagram with Tom Colicchio about mm-hmm. how to, to save restaurants. Uh, now her new act is uh, the Feed Act uh, about the crisis of hunger and. Uh, it's an economic crisis facing our restaurant industry, including farmers. She wrote cities should be able to pay local restaurants to deliver meals to vulnerable people. It should be as simple as that. And it would make everyone work. It's like what they were doing in new Orleans, you know, as, as a a local uh, grassroots Mm -hmm. reaction. Uh, We should be doing that nationwide. Of course, we don't have a federal government. We have to act independently. And thank God in California, we have Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris representing us. And we have Gavin Newsom and Eric Garcetti and London Breed. And Ted Lieu and Adam Schiff and Diane Feinstein. We we have a really great group of people. Um, uh, In Pittsburgh, uh, someone sent me this. And I'm I'm sorry to not cite your name. It's terribly... uh, let me see if I can find it here. Ah, Jukes Girl Votes by Mail is her handle on uh, Twitter. She sent me this about Pittsburgh. It's a doctor there in Pittsburgh who's doing exactly a protean way of what Kamala Harris is trying to get through the Senate. Dr. Mark Barrett's. Um, they would ring restaurants and say, can you do 50 meals for seniors? And then they would take several different groups, which were uh, in the Pittsburgh area. Casa San Jose and 412 Food Rescue and pick up the meals and take them out to the people that needed them. And so this is the kind of thing we're going to have to do at every level because, as you say, it's not hard to do. There's no federal response. And um, that is a, you know, well-documented sort of tale of the tape here. I wanted to mention um, that. Peter uh, Sai, who say who is the Taiwanese and is the Taiwanese inventor of the nine nine N ninety four mask, has come out of retirement to try to figure out how to uh, sanitize the mask to be reworn. Um, but he's quite a special person um, because there's so much anti Asian backlash because of the propaganda from the the Orange 45 mm-hmm. government. Um, I wanted to celebrate him. He's a retired professor who taught at the University of Tennessee. He has 12 patents and has consulted for over 170 companies. His family were farmers, and he says he had to help earn an income as a child. He studied chemical engineering because he wanted to learn a marketable skill. He decided that uh, Taiwan at the time was not manufacturing the elements, uh, the basics for the kinds of things that he was interested in. So he decided to go to the States. Um, He signed up for mathematics, uh, chemical engineering, and physics courses. When he graduated, he... The other PhD students needed 90 credits to graduate. He had 500. Overachieving? Um, the material of the melt-blown fabric at the respirator's core has been weighed with a fiber imbued with an electric charge which can absorb and capture viruses or bacteria. 
Um, that's from uh, the Commonwealth uh, Magazine uh, article by Jia Yi Lin. But what a, an amazing person. He is... He's come yeah. out of retirement to see how they can um, right. uh, 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 sanitize, sanitize yeah. them so that they could be worn again. He's is it Shai? How do you say his last name? I would say Sai. Peter Sai. Sai. Um, what an amazing, uh, wonderful person he is. It's astonishing. Um, there's been so many heroes and so many um, villains. Let's talk ever so briefly. Um, Mitch McConnell is the um, speak Senate Majority Leader, and he's been um, uh, a terrible force in American politics for a long time. Well, he's the one that is keeping all of the hundreds of bills that Nancy Pelosi's gotten through the House from putting being put into place. He's um, almost completely uh, self-oriented in every regard. Uh, he's taken... Uh, this terrible pandemic and made it a platform for his own um, promoting the rich friends that he has. And um, you may remember when he went to the Brett Kavanaugh um, party on the 12th. Um, everything Trump has inflicted on the American people has been done with the blessing of Mitch McConnell. Through this entire uh, pandemic, McConnell's both displayed he's a soulless person who's willing to let people suffer so he can continue to wield power. I'm reading that uh, from an article uh, in the um, Guardian, and I'd like to give you some numbers here. Uh, his Lexington number in Kentucky is 859-224-8286. In Louisville, 502-582-6304. In D.C., and this number is certainly to be not answered. I assume he has no one answering it, and it's just a blog. <laughs> I did get through the last time I did called. You? Not to not to the D.C. number, but to the Louisville number. He's at mcconnell.senate.gov. His number in Washington is 202-224-2541. Nothing is more important than replacing this man. When you call him, you mustn't be strident or... Because the only reason that Orange 45 persists is because Mitch McConnell won't allow anything to go forward. The Senate had the opportunity to remove Trump from office. And they, they still refused. do. They do now. They do every day from morning till the end of the day. And all it takes is um, him to do this. But he ain't doing it. And so it's time to recognize and um, pressure the people who... Do, in any case, uh, I wanted to highlight because you'll because, have a, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. What, what, no, no. Uh, because Mitch McConnell and his ilk are such horrible racists that uh, there's a lab at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. Oh, I love this. Uh, it it was uh, Imani Perry uh, wrote the other day that it was one of Mayor Richard. Arrington's important legacies in Birmingham was investing in the development of the UAB's hospital. Um, he, the mayor, was an academic geneticist, by the way, before becoming mayor. Wow. And he was the first black mayor. There is currently in Birmingham the second black mayor, yes. Randall Woodfin. And they are now uh, focused on 
treatment for the COVID-19. The reason why that lab would be singled out uh, is not only because of their excellence, but, but because they were working on the Ebola treatment. But their history is legend, is it not? They're yes. a black university that had almost solely black uh, scientists and researchers, and they were given... What was the disease they were given? Because polio. Yeah. They, they worked on the polio There was an assertion that only white people could get polio at some point. Because, of course, at the time, black people were not going, they weren't seeking treatment or they couldn't get treatment or there was no hospital near them. So there was this wild assumption that they couldn't get polio. Holy Christ. Um, so because out of necessity uh, and their... Uh, their amazing uh, heroism, they have become a stellar lab. Um, and Dr. Fauci said the drug discovered and tested at their lab will be the standard of care for uh, COVID-19 patients. So they did it for Ebola, and they're doing it again for yeah. COVID-19. Will you say the name of this institution one more it's time? It's the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Unbelievable. The Abortion Access Front, um, we did a benefit for them last week. They raised $120,000 for independent clinics all around the country. It was just smashing. So awesome. I can't thank you enough, and I can't um, express how important it is because women all over America um, uh, completely depend on uh, the independent clinics. The Pulitzer Prize this year went to several beautiful people, one of whom was uh, uh, an author from the, an, a journalist rather. Uh, I, why have I, I fucked this up? Is it Kyle Hopkins? Or it's Kyle Hopkins at the Anchorage Thank Daily you. News. And it, it, that was in association with ProPublica. And I actually followed that uh, series of articles. Um, it was really enlightening about the different communities in Alaska that are without any kind of law enforcement, which means that uh, domestic abuse and uh, abuse of children uh, was going without any kind of recourse. Because there's no law enforcement. There's no law. There's no one you can call. There's no one you can refer to. There's no one that will come to your house. Um, it More starts than with this. 70 communities in yes. Alaska. It's a Just brilliant shocking. story. And um, we played Alaska last year, and Alaska's near and dear to us. And um, uh, these, all these. I have relatives in Alaska. Yeah, I was going to say both of us. The, the, uh, these communities are, are far flung. And the headline is lawless. Colon. One in three Alaska villages have no local police. So that's what you need to know about the United States. The United States includes a state that's more gigantic than you could possibly imagine. It's the size of France or bigger even. Yeah. And uh, the, these journalists are so important. Kyle Hopkins won a, uh, a Pulitzer Prize for it. I thought that was really wonderful. If you want Publica to... is doing a lot of great work, and and uh, he's also the editor at the Anchorage Daily News, mm. which you can find at um, adn.com. The sixteen nineteen project. Obviously, the New York Times and the Washington Post get a lot of prizes. Um, 
1619 Project was put together by a journalist named Nicole Hannah-Jones. Ida B. Wells is what she tweets under. Ida B. Wells was a journalist in the 19th century who came back to her town to find that one of the stanchions of the black middle class there who ran a business and was known to everyone had been lynched. And so she began to write a, a paper that exposed that in the most frank terms. By the way, she was under five feet tall. She was 16 uh, when she was orphaned. Um, she lied about her age mm -hmm. to get a gig as a teacher. Yeah. And uh, she proceeded to rewrite the rules of journalism, really. I think in a lot of ways, and no one wants to say it because she's a black woman, um, she's sort of the antecedent and anticipator and bold forwarder of what we consider uh, 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 that journalistic responsibility to get to the truth immediately and mm -hmm. speak it in the clearest possible terms. Her prose is succinct. She doesn't goof around. It's 19th century, but it's uh, to the word about what's going on. She says that black people who were succeeding in a capitalist society were being singled out as well as any random black person for lynching. Mm -hmm. And for that, her trouble, her place was burnt to the ground. Well, in any case, she was awarded a Pulitzer Prize yesterday, which was, too. Uh, it, it, get right on that. Ida B. She said... Um, it was not punishment for crime, she wrote, about lynching, but an excuse to get rid of black people who were acquiring wealth and pro property. Yep. And Representative Bell Demings, who was, I believe, the first police chief in Florida, yep. black woman police chief. Yes. Last month, a century after Ida B. Wells exposed the horrors of lynching, the U.S. House of Representatives voted to make lynching a federal crime for the first time. I was proud to cast that long overdue vote. Can you vote. believe that's when it was? And Cory Booker, as I recall, and Kamala Harris were both. Mm -hmm. um, but and, it and Kamala, it by the way, Senator Kamala Harris, the second black woman senator. In the history of the United States. So here's a line by her from, it's in the 1619 Project, which behooves you to read it. It's a story of um, African-Americans in America and their involuntary slavery. The fact that they built America physically, the fact that their material wealth... They built the White House. Thomas Jefferson and George Washington's plantations. They built Wall Street. Um, this is the paragraph I wanted to read you. Well, I'll read this part too. Fuck it, since we're here. Before the abolishment of the international slave trade, 400,000 enslaved Africans would be sold into America. Those individuals and their descendants transformed the lands to which they'd been brought into some of the most successful colonies in the British Empire. Through back-breaking labor, they cleared the land across the southeast. They taught the colonist to grow rice. Well, that's, that's what always goes overlooked is the, the, the people that were stolen from Africa were very often experts at what they did. That's and they were why. stolen for a specific reason. Yeah, they, the, 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 the horrible 
people that the truth of the slave trade is they knew who was experts oh, they, and who yeah, wasn't. They knew what they were doing, and, and they where. went to those places to steal them. Uh-huh. Half of all American exports, 66% of the world supply. They built the plantations of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, sprawling properties that today attract thousands of visitors from across the globe, captivated by the history of the world's greatest democracy. They laid the foundations of the White House and the Capitol, even placing their unfree hands on the Statue of Freedom atop the Capitol Dome. They lugged the heavy wooden tracks of the railroads that crossed the South and helped take the cotton they picked to northern textile mills. It was the relentless buying, selling, insuring, and financing of their bodies and the products of their labor that made Wall Street a thriving banking, insurance, and trading sector and New York City the financial capital of the world. But this is the paragraph I wanted to read to you. But, and this is what won the Pulitzer Prize yesterday, but it would be historically inaccurate to reduce the contributions of black people to the vast material wealth created by our bondage. Black Americans have also been and continue to be foundational to the idea of American freedom more than any other group in this country's history. We've served generation after generation, in an overlooked but vital role, colon, it is we who have been the perfectors of this democracy. Well, who's the foundation of the Democratic Party? Black women. Thank you. There is a special uh, about Michelle Obama based on that, her is book, Becoming. It comes out tomorrow. We're doing this Tuesday. It comes out tomorrow, Wednesday, on Netflix, directed by Nadia Helgren. Um, there's just so many beautiful revelations from it, and it just sounds like a, a must-watch I can't film. even get my head around Which, what, what they went through to be there. She said she made... Uh, the daughters make their own beds. She she decided when they when they moved into the White House that there were so many, as she put it, uncles who were working there. Um, these older black men, and they were wearing tuxedos, and she didn't want her daughters to feel that that's what older black men had to do for them. So she changed the dress code. She, uh, Did she really? yeah, she asked for. Were the, they still wearing tuxedos? Yeah. And and because Michelle Obama well, is, is, is you know such a, a oh my god yeah <laughs> the uh, most over, revolutionary over, first lady yeah in, yeah overqualified in two hundred and fifty years um, yeah she said that that she didn't want she was reminded of the porters right uh, and yeah. uh, she wanted her daughters to understand that they had to be in a different. Uh, realm and she also one of the most heartbreaking things I read was she said she burst into tears when they left the White House on Air Force One because of the burden of trying to be perfect for all those years and then and then the, the right the the degradation of the this most mess. repulsive white 
uh, supremacy kind of how neo Nazi, you could not neo Nazi, Nazi, right? Nazi that you could be this kind of repugnant human being and exist, and that that there would be enough racists to make this happen, and, and that the media is it really doesn't matter. Like happily people are dying, and yep. racists are still allowing this 000, to be. Yeah. On that note, let's talk about Tony Allen. Uh, I was going to say, let's awesome. get to Tony Allen and do this bad boy. Let's Tony play Allen, all your jams. Tony Allen was somebody that I, I found out about when I was a teenager because I, I had a Rough Trade mixtape. Really? Yeah, and Rough Trade... I'm getting more ice. You <laughs> carry on. Oh, I need some ice, too, please. What? Thank you. Um, Rough Trade uh, would, would put out these uh, tapes. Yes, tapes in those days. And so there would be... Um, all sorts of wild things like it would be John Cooper Clark and and uh, then some groovy deep uh, dub track with Tony Allen on it and he was a drummer that some people might think was the greatest of all drummers. He was born in Lagos, Nigeria in 1940. He lived in Paris um, since 1985. He just left to the ether Invented Afrobeat with Fela Kuti, and then when he was I did, and then when he was in Paris, he developed what he called Afrofunk. Why was he in Paris? Because he got into electronica and dub. Um, He was Fela Kuti's musical director and the co-creator of Afrobeat. Um, they performed at a place called the Shrine, which was uh, oh my god. (laughs) There's there's a documentary, which is a must see of them performing their all-night jams. And uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about... uh, We were talking about Bill Withers. We were celebrating Bill Withers. And Bill Withers uh, played that uh, wonderful concert in Africa Africa. where uh, there was Muhammad Ali and uh, James Brown. Well, after the concert, James Brown and his band retired to the shrine because they wanted to get in on that awesomeness. And the band, apparently, James Brown's band was in awe of Tony Allen. And I think that says everything. Tony Allen was able, my understanding is, to play four different rhythms with... Right hand, le- right hand, left hand, and the kick drum and the right foot and whatnot. Everything was on a different meter. His his and he invented his own style. His interviews are are great. Well, he he worshipped Max Roach and Art Blakey to be sure, and he said that uh, he would devour Downbeat magazine. Used to have. Uh, instructional I want to go to the articles about Lagos that had Max Roach, <laughs> right? Hey, where, where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Um, and I love that his interviews, they, they go all over the map. Like sometimes he's like, he's really reticent and he's humble. And other times he says things like, without me, Fela Kuti is not knowing, is not going to play. If I'm sick, there is no work. If he's sick, we could play. So tell me who's the master then. Here, spin me this one, Jennifer, the Fela Kuti wrote For By the way, there's a new album out that came out in March that he made with, it was a recording that he did with Hugh Masekela 10 years ago. um, And they worked out nothing in advance. It was all 
off of Tony Allen would play, and then Hugh Masekela would just do the melody. Isn't that great? So believe that. Here, talk me through this one. Oh, this is great. So this is uh, Fela Kuti in Africa 70 with uh, Tony Allen. And this is the sound... Fela Kuti would would, uh, sing these militant lyrics about the oppression and uh, hardships that they had to deal with in Nigeria... Which meant troops coming to their house, police oh, coming, be, killing them. It could them, be as, as prosaic as the sound, the power goes out. Yeah. And then uh, at, towards the end, it was a thousand troops coming uh, to kick your head in. Yeah. Here, let's just dig this for a second. French uh, director did a live concert film that's really outstanding. Um, Tony Allen had plans this year to tour with a band of young musicians because I want to take care of youngsters. They have a message, and I want to bring them on my beat. That's according to Robin Dunslow in The Guardian. Um, There's Birth of Afrobeat, which was filmed in 2017, when Alan was going to uh, record with Chicago Afrobeat Project, and you can find that online, and it's uh, with a, a piece called uh, "My Friend Fela" by Carlos Moore, and it's really, it's really fascinating. It's I totally recommend that. Uh, as Fela Kuti once said, "Without Tony Allen, there would be no Afrobe- Afrobeat." But hilariously, he said. At, in, at, in 2016, mm-hmm. I detest singing militant. It's not my thing. No. What Fela was challenging, he was right, but it was too direct, and that's why he got all this shit. There were too many arrests, too many bombardments. You're a musician. Why do you leave yourself to be beaten up all the time like that? Uh, he said to Tim Jones in The Guardian in 2016. But the thing is, he had already made 40 albums with Fela Kuti. And I was thinking about this, and, and I don't know enough of the circumstance, but I imagine that he was beaten up, too. He stayed with him a long time, of and course. it was not easy going. No. And then finally... Fela Kuti was from an aristocratic background, and he had been uh, schooled in, in England. He went back to Nigeria... Right. And people assumed that his compound was more livable than it was, but it was actually very rough. Well, they, they were uh, going on, um, you know, intermittent water, intermittent electricity, oh, but, whatnot. But I, I just mean the his lifestyle. It was not easy. No, it wasn't easygoing yoga. Um, let, can we talk about Emu Sangare here? Yeah, she's a wonderful singer from Mali. And this is her with Tony Allen. This, I think you're going to dig so much. I was really, really excited that Jennifer um, found this. It's so great. And if you dig the video, it's O-U-M-O-U-S-A-N-G-A-R-E with an accent. 
Tony Allen on drums. I love this song. And that's how hip he was. Um, really? I think he was the hippest. 40 years with Fila Kuti. He said uh, Afrobeat is the only major music genre of which you can still count the number of bands on your fingers. He said, Afrobeat has different varieties of rhythm, maybe because I'm in control of that. I don't know how to stop inventing different beats because when I'm bored with the pattern of the beat, I need to create another one. But all what I'm doing is on 4-4 time, so it's just a question of the composition of the patterns, how to group them together. Wow. Let's take a step back here and go to the 1984... um N-E-P-A. Oh, that, this was that's one the of his, Never Expect Power Always, which is about the power outages, which yeah. reminds me of when we've seen Femi Cootie, Fela's yeah. son, and Femi Cootie once said, he was asked the question, what's the difference between uh, recording, recording in L.A. Yeah. and recording in Lagos? And he said, because in L.A. you know that the power is not going to go out. So this song is about that by Tony Allen, and he recorded this in London. He couldn't get a work permit in London, so that's why he moved to Paris in 85. Right. He did not live in London. He lived in Paris. Tony Allen. It's always funky, Jennifer. And, um, you know, do yourself a favor and uh, watch that... I have to go back and look at what it's called. Uh, Birth of Afrobeat is part of the PBS Afropop Ultimate Cultural Exchange Series. So you can see that online in America. I don't know about... Birth of Afrobeat, you say? Oh, it's really wicked. Filmed in 2017. And my friend Fela does not pull punches. If you want to know what Tony Allen was up against. Really pull punches? Oh, kittens. And his look. Oh, my God. Will you play Monin? Yeah. Because he loved Art Blakey and Max Roach. And so this is his version of Monin. And he said that he never played drum solos. And he plays a drum solo in this. Um, There's contradictions. (laughs) He right. also this practiced a, on pillows. This is our like, which he said increased his flexibility. Right, because of the pushiness of the <laughs> pillows. This is a his posture. It, it's just like he's. It's all in the wrist, the ankles. Yeah, he's just he never at ease. Overemphasizes drums, and uh, Monin's, of course, a classic tune that we played well several weeks recently. ago recently. Yeah. Jazzed up the beat here considerably. Here, let's listen. Whoa. Okay. Oh. 
Wow. Tony Allen. He's not just swirling in the heavens, he's directing the music in the heavens. Right? Very much so. We bid you sweet adieu from this unfathomable thing that's happening. Every page you turn be a satchel page, and every bell that rings for you be uh, um, bell hooks. And, uh, yeah. May every uh, bonds that you buy be a Tony Allen bonds. Oh,